Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome back. We are kicking off 2023 with some amazing guests in the lineup, and I've got some incredible strategies for you coming up. So stay tuned. You're probably going to want to take notes on these next few episodes if you're not already, because we have got some great tips, some experts, and some really solid information for the nonprofit space for you, whether you're a grant writer or if you're involved with a nonprofit or a board member, volunteer, good stuff coming up. One question that I often get is, how can we get grant ready? Or how can we find other funding of sources? And that's a very good question. And it's because a lot of times I talk so much about needing a grant strategy and needing to have other funding sources in place before you apply for grants. You need to be sustainable without grants. So then you're ready for grants to come in and enhance your program. Grant funders don't want to be your first dollar or your only dollar. So you've got to have other money coming in and consistently. And how do you do that? Well, that's a tricky thing. And that's the question every nonprofit asks, especially in the early stages. And I have a lot of small nonprofits that come to me wondering, how can we raise more funding? How can we grow? A lot of it comes back to strategy, making sure your board members are educated and well-equipped and getting your team in place. You may remember if you've watched my TEDx talk, and if you haven't, go back and watch that. You can just Google me on YouTube. And I talk a lot about making sure you have your relevance, your optimization, and your interactions, your ROI framework, so that you can make your return on impact. One of the ways that I'm going to help you understand how to better do this over these next few weeks is by talking to different experts in the nonprofit space on other ways you can raise funds. Today, I am talking with an expert who has been in nonprofit work for years, probably 20 years or more. And it's kind of funny because last winter, I went to a conference in Milwaukee and I was presenting a grant writing workshop there. And then about a month later, I went to a different conference in Nashville and I met today's guest, Dave Raley. And it was funny, we were visiting, he had a vendor booth there at the Nashville conference. We were chatting and talking about how, yeah, I just went to Milwaukee and presented a workshop there last month. And we both had, we had presented workshops at the same conference in Milwaukee and didn't even know it. And then we met a month later in Nashville. So it was kind of a funny coincidence. But since then, I've gotten to know him and his work. He has a fantastic weekly 
email that he sends out, lots of good information. And I am excited for you to hear some of the strategies he talks about today. This branches out from grant writing, but it's very relevant to nonprofit work and nonprofit fundraising and really innovation. Like that's something I talk about a lot. Grant writing doesn't have to be boring. It can actually be pretty creative with a lot of problem solving and thinking through different angles and how can we best present this information in a way that's engaging and interesting. And Dave takes kind of that same approach, but in his areas of expertise that he's going to share with us today. So I'm excited for you to meet him. He is a consultant, speaker, and writer. He's the founder of Imago Consulting, and Dave helps faith-informed organizations generate profitable growth by developing sustainable innovation. And that's the key, right? Making sure our nonprofits are sustainable. Dave is also the co-founder and host of the Purpose and Profit podcast. That is a show about the surprising ideas at the intersection of nonprofit causes and for-profit brands. How cool is that? So without further ado, I'm excited to introduce you to my friend, Dave Rayleigh. Dave, welcome to the show. It's great to chat with you again. Tell us a random fact about yourself. Ooh, um, I am a huge Disney fan. If you're watching the video recording, you'll have already (laughs) picked up on that. Um, But I'm a daddy of two little girls and I grew up in Southern California And I thought, you know, I thought, you know, I grew up around Disney, but once you have kids and you take them, it's just like, (laughs) oh, the rabbit hole is deep. You might as well just lean in. (laughs) Awesome. Very good. I have been to Disney World in Florida, but not California. So now I'll know who to ask if I ever go there. Oh, yeah. I've got all the tips. Well, tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to this point, how you've worked with nonprofits and just kind of what led you to that and how you got here. Yeah. You know, I, I remember being in college and being really fascinated with the the idea of uh, originally it was the internet. I'm, I'm old enough <laughs> to know that it was a, in the early days of the World Wide Web and I just remember thinking, man, the computers and the internet are like such a huge part of the future, um, but ultimately realized that I'm a people person. And um, so writing code all day was not uh, going to be my future uh, Mm -hmm. livelihood. And so when I realized that, um, I had been um, introduced to some marketing classes at the school of business that I was at. And that was just a light bulb moment that, oh, I know what I want to do. I want to work with people around the idea of marketing. And this, it wasn't called digital then, but you know, the internet new media. And, uh, so that was a couple of decades ago. And, uh, over that time period, I've, uh, spent a lot of years primarily in an agency that works with, uh, nonprofit organizations doing a lot of marketing strategy, fundraising, and those sorts of things. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've worked, I was thinking about it the other day, I've worked with about 115 nonprofits over the wow. last <laughs> the last couple decades. So a, a few. Um, you speak the language well. <laughs> I do. I've, I've been around. Um, but really the last, I would say maybe five years or so, Teresa, I have been much more interested in innovation and how innovation leads to nonprofits thriving and growth. 
And I think I've found that nonprofits, a lot of nonprofits do talk about innovation and are very passionate about it. But a lot of times what they mean by innovation is um, program innovation. So better service delivery or uh, more effective programs, which is awesome. Uh, But where I've been wired from a business background, certainly from a fundraising background, is to help think about the economic engine of an organization. And if we can invent a new way of doing our program, what is holding us back from scaling that? So it's a lot about growth, revenue, uh, and innovation together. And uh, ultimately that led to um, really thinking about what would it look like to create a consultancy that works specifically with nonprofits and businesses to help them with growth through innovation. And so hence um, Imago Consulting was born. And uh, that's been something that um, we just launched out with this year and has been going really tremendously well. And um, Good feedback so far, um, but it's it's one of those things where you've been in. I've been in the industry for a while, so I shouldn't think I'm new at this, but I feel very new at this in 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 another very real sense. So right. it's been a great great journey. Awesome, I know what you mean. Even though you're old pro to nonprofit work, this new piece is new to you, and so you feel like you're back at the beginning. Even though you're not, you're coming into it armed with two decades of experience, but it still feels new. And yeah, I've been there, been through all the things. The podcast was very new to me and I felt like a complete beginner, but then pretty soon you get into the rhythm of it and you realize, okay, you can pull in some skills. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this, every new job I've ever had in my life, I think I've been about 11. The first year was like, holy cow, what am I doing here? You know, <laughs> even even senior executive jobs, you know, it's not just the the entry level jobs. And I'm sure folks that are listening can relate. You know, it takes it takes some time to really get you know comfortable in your own skin. And so uh, but I'm a learner. I mean, that's one of as far as strengths finder goes, that's one of my mm-hmm. top strengths. And so the idea of like having to learn a new thing or a new way of doing things is kind of like, Ooh, fun, you know, mm-hmm. keeps you sharp. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I like that kind of stuff too. And that's partly why I enjoy the podcast and having guests because it's always something new and learning from people that know different areas than me. Yeah. So what would you say is your favorite part? about what you do? Um, You know, I was thinking about that uh, recently, and there's just something about this combination of, um, I'll use a word, a very specific word, wonder, um, of just, uh, I've always felt like um, part of who I was made to be was somebody that could really connect dots and kind of see trends and sort of understand things. That was honestly in the early days of digital, one of the main things I did was help translate for folks, you know, all this tech speak and what was going on to, you know, human speak and to understandable things. And so I feel like just that the the teacher in me, the um, the dot connector in me loves to see those sorts of things. Um, but I'm also wired for uh, it. In my opinion, it doesn't count unless it actually is built or implemented. And so I just there's a part of me that loves to, you know, see what's coming next and, you know, what, what sort of high level opportunities there may be, but it just, there's just a very, I don't know, type a part of me that wants to see it actually happen in the world. And so the idea of being able to, with Imago consulting, to bring those two sides together, where I actually get to, um, 
to spend half my time learning, researching, you know, um, speaking at conferences and writing and, and doing those, those sorts of things that make me that much more sharp when I'm able to actually help an organization then implement those ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been a fun combination. Yeah. Yeah. You sound similar to me. We both enjoy both of those sides of it. So what does this look like in practical terms? How would this apply? Say, give us an example or a story of how you would do this. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Cause I think when somebody comes to, if somebody came to me and said, I want to help you with innovation and growth, <laughs> I'd be like, what? Yeah. It sounds mean? awesome. But what is that? Yeah. And it sounds a little, I mean, honestly, innovation is a bit of a $2 word and it means a lot of things to a lot of people. And I always say for some people, innovation is a four letter word, you know, because it's like, <laughs> oh, we've, we've tried that before that, you know, yeah. somebody came time. And they, you know, yeah. innovation can be an excuse for a lot of, you know, lack of discipline and, and, uh, you know, real insight. So I think the best way to think about it is, um, uh, coming in and coming alongside leaders and leadership teams to help them understand what their um, portfolio is. Um, uh, and in the nonprofit world, that can mean their programs, their income producing programs, for example. Um, and a lot of nonprofits produce income in more than just traditional fundraising. Certainly, there's obviously a lot of grants, and, but there's also earned income and social enterprise and recurring revenue models. There's a lot of different ways that nonprofits can create economic flourishing to be able to do more of it, what it is they do. And so one of the main things I do is come alongside organizations to basically do a portfolio review of what are the things that you are doing that are producing revenue with a particular focus on either things that are new and in development or that need renewal. So mm-hmm. an example of that would be recurring giving. Um, um, I believe that the subscription economy that we live in today, that we've lived in now for five, 10 years, has really transformed consumer expectations and consumer behavior. Um, but we've also seen it transform donor behavior. And so um, from my perspective, I think there's a massive uh, group of nonprofits that have not yet tapped into the subscription economy, so to speak. And so that's an example of a specific income you know, revenue program that uh, a lot of organizations have you know, a checkbox on their website or they have a named program, but it really doesn't have much much meat on the bones, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so taking a look at that program, helping them to understand where their best growth opportunities are and really creating a action plan and a roadmap to then take advantage of those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It sounds very parallel to what I do with grants is a lot of nonprofits are sitting on a gold mine of resources they don't even realize. And some of that is a matter of unearthing that and covering that, polishing it off and helping them understand how can we connect the dots to really make this gain some momentum. And it sounds like you're doing something very similar, looking for the hidden potential and then mapping out specific steps to help them understand how to actually implement. Yeah. Well, and you think about uh, your own expertise. It, I think it does take somebody with the depth of expertise to know where to prioritize the effort. And, you know, I've been blessed to work across a lot of different uh, nonprofits and a lot of different funding programs. 
but I know at least enough to know that there is, there's a lot that I don't know. And so I, I have a pretty good sniffer for, you know, oh, it looks like you need help in your major donor, you know, area. You know, I've been professionally major donor trained and all those sorts of things, but I know that what I know is only a fraction of what others do. And so it's this, but you have to have the expertise, the depth of experience enough to know, okay, that's an opportunity. Let's get somebody in here that, you know, that specializes in that particular skill set. Right. To recognize those areas to begin with and then be able to pull in the resources. And, and if you think about it, to prioritize where the best next step is. Yes. Um, I think in, uh, in my experience, every client I've ever worked with always um, feels like they don't have enough resources to actually do all the things that they just should be doing. So mm-hmm. they live with a lot of, let alone the things that they could be doing. There's like, yes. I don't even have enough resources to do one-tenth of 1% of what I really feel like I should be doing as a leader. And I think leaders live with a lot of guilt when it comes to that, you know, this feeling of like, oh, I'm only doing this. I should be doing that and the other. And so the way I think about it is if you have a coach, a really good um, coach in sports, for example, um, I'm not a very good golfer, but I'll use golf as an example because <laughs> I have some in some brothers who are very good golfers and one of them's PGA level. And Ooh, um, well, I'm sure I'm worse than you no matter what. So oh, <laughs> you're good. No, you can try me. Um, but um but I've, I, you know, I know actually a lot intellectually about golf. Like I've played a lot of golf. I've watched a decent amount of golf. And so if somebody came in and said, Hey, you know, take a look at my swing, I could give them lots of advice. Honestly, if I watched somebody swing, I'd probably give them 20 pieces of advice. Oh, you got to bring your elbow in here and you got to straighten your arm here. And you know, your follow through looks this way or whatever. But the real key is if my brother-in-law, who's, who is a PGA certified professional, takes a look at that swing, he'll give them one piece of advice because he knows, yeah, there's 22 things that that person did wrong, but this is the one, and they call it in golf, a swing thought. This is the one swing thought that this person needs to have to help them break through. Mm-hmm. And if you think about your expertise, um, uh, you're coming into an organization with a lot of experience. And, and you're able to say, yes, there are 22 things we should probably do here, but here's the first thing we should do. And I think that is something that you really bring with, you know, with the expertise and the depth. Um, and that's something I hope to, hope to bring to, to organizations as well. Mm-hmm. So true. Such a good point. And sometimes we just need that. I'm really glad you touched on that feeling of overwhelm and all the priorities at once and all the hats and the things we're trying to juggle in nonprofit work, small business, whatever it is, because that is so common and nonprofits do feel that pressure. And I think you hit it when you said they also feel the guilt, like it's about this cause and this mission and we should be doing more, but they're already pouring everything they have into this. So where do we draw that line? And that's where it does help to just say, okay, let's step back. Let's focus right here, make some progress and get this done. And then we can take the next step instead of trying to go all the directions at once and feeling the weight of that pressure on top of that. Well, and sometimes it's just, it's just helpful to have that objective sounding board, you know, outside input. I've got one client I'm working with right now that this, this individual, the the core leader could probably figure out 99% of what it is I'm bringing to the table, but they don't have 
20 hours to dive into the analytics and to look at the customer journey and to evaluate these things and to think through just the way my brain works. What are the different business models we could be using here? And how do we approach this from a financial perspective? And what's the customer experience and what's the marketing look like? Um, It's not that the leader doesn't have the like mental ability to do something like that or even the experience, but sometimes it's just the capacity and the like, uh, I heard a saying recently, it's really hard to read the label from inside the jar. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's so good. And I'm, and we're all, we're, we're all inside some jar, right? Yes. You know, we have, we all have the back of a label we're looking at and to be able to be that for somebody is just, you know, it's, it makes me, it makes me just glad to be able to be a part of that for some folks. Yes. That's so funny. You say that exact quote, because I used that exact thing just an hour ago when I was working with my VIP group of grant writers, one of them was talking through, I'm stuck on this. And I told them that exact thing. (laughs) So that's why I laughed when you said that. It's yeah, it's so true. It is. And, you know, with nonprofits, I think there it is a different element because we do have that mission focus that we're bringing in and we feel that responsibility or that burden, so to speak, in a different way that we feel compelled to give. And by nature, most people who work in nonprofits are sacrificing and giving. And so I think there is that balance of sometimes needing a different perspective or needing to just step back and take a break or whatever it may be and figuring out how to prioritize the different pieces and moving parts. Yeah. You know, something I found, and I'm guessing you have too, another really helpful element when I'm working with clients is that I can say, you know, based on my experience with this client a few years ago, here's what happened, here's what worked for them, or here's why that won't work because this is the kind of trouble you could get into or tangles, or here's how someone else handled it. And I'm sure with your background and different experiences, you can pull in the same and just, you know, little snippets or examples that way to be able to share. Yeah. You know, I think the, the term uh, uh, sort of psych psychological term that I heard, um, uh, about that is really, it's, it's ultimately pattern matching, you know, and, Mm -hmm humans are really good at, uh, you know, I've seen this, this many times before this looks like another one of those. And I think that's just one of our, mm-hmm. our really, um, given, you know, just wirings, but when you, to your point, but when you're able to do that in one specific area or with one specific type of organization or one specific discipline, that's, that's totally, um, you know, I think we take for granted the, that skill set, you know, that when a, when a client is coming to you or to me, there is that opportunity of saying, yeah, okay, I've, I've seen <laughs> that before. And that's honestly why I'm so passionate about helping organizations with innovation and new product development and new program development is because honestly, I failed at it a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've Same. succeeded at it sometimes too, um, Same. but, yeah. um, but I've also seen a lot of organizations in the different places where innovation falls down and mm-hmm. where we, you know, we're really good at coming up with new ideas and like, we we're always have a new initiative, but we never, they never seem to stick or actually really get fully implemented. Or some organizations are really organizationally operationally effective. They've got everything dialed in, but they're, they have this sneaky suspicion that the core model 
is maybe a little dated, or maybe there's some some disruption happening. Maybe there was a a pandemic, or a you know some other you know technological or program type of you know cultural shift, and they're not quite sure how to develop a new way of doing things. You know, and so mm-hmm. we're no matter where an organization is at on that spectrum the thing that excites me is coming in and helping to identify, okay, here's where it's not going well. Here's where the the leadership team alignment, you know, might actually help better. You've got this, you've got this person, you know, over here on the side that has a skill set that you're not tapping into. What would it look like to actually tap into that, you know, for the purposes of, you know, creating and, you know, growing these, these uh, different programs. And, uh, and so, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that bit of refresher just helps kind of invigorate or breathe new life into the team. It just, you just need that little space, little different, refreshing breath of, you know, kind of a new wind, I guess. Yeah. What, as a fellow learner and researcher, what trends or I guess upcoming things excite you or do you see about the sector in particular? Yeah. You know, I'm always, I actually, um, well, I actually started a, a whole trend spotting newsletter. Um, we'll talk, yeah. about, we'll talk about it. Um, but, yeah. but, um, based on, um, my belief that one of the most important things leaders can do first, uh, with a trend is just to notice it, just to know that it's there. Um, the, the newsletter is called the wave report, by the way. Um, and it's I'm great, originally from Southern California. And so it's, uh, it's a, surfing metaphor. So forgive me if you're not very clever. I'm not a very good surfer, but I think the metaphor works, which is um, just briefly. And to your point about trends, I think the, the, the thing that I learned about surfing that really ultimately has helped me think about innovation is that in surfing, I used to think of, of um, trends as waves, right? You know, we got to get on that wave and the crypto, the crypto donation wave, right? Now it's coming. We got to get on that wave. And when I actually learned real surfing, one of the things I learned was that you can actually miss a wave by paddling too early, just as much as you can miss a wave by paddling too late. And um, that may seem, I don't know, obvious in in hindsight, but when you're in the water and a wave is bearing down on you, you think, I got to catch this wave. And so you start paddling, 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 and you exert all this energy and oftentimes by the time the wave actually reaches you, you're not able to paddle as hard as you really need to, to actually get going the same speed as the wave and you end up missing the wave. And I think trends and in innovation are similar. I think a lot of uh, leaders can get really wrapped up in, I got to paddle really hard. We got to expend all these resources to catch this wave. And, you know, it's otherwise we're going to miss it. And it's going to leave us behind. And I've seen just as much organizations run out of steam or budget or will or board mm-hmm. approval to actually catch the wave by the time it actually gets to them. And so, um, so one of the trends I would say that has really um, stood out to me and it, we're, a, we're a few years into this trend, but it, this, this wave is right today. And that is the subscription economy. Mm-hmm. And um, what has been happening in recurring revenue models for organizations, certainly for businesses, but also for nonprofits um, over the last five, 10 years has really transformed the way donors and um, customers think. Mm-hmm. And so that is, um, uh, I believe that uh, 
uh, if you think about the traditional recurring giving um, models, one-to-one um, -one sponsorship, for example, or membership, those are the two most dominant models. Those have been around, by the way, for more than 100 years. Sponsorship just hit its 101st birthday this year. I don't know if you wow. know Wow, I did not know that. Was the was the original first U.S.-based child sponsorship program. Wow. Well, these are not new models, but really the sponsorship and uh, membership nonprofits represent about 25% of nonprofits today, which means there's 75% of nonprofits that have not been able to take advantage of this gold standard of monthly recurring giving until the subscription economy has really transformed donor expectations and donor behavior. And so I think that there's a huge opportunity for all nonprofits, but especially those that don't have the opportunity to do one-to-one -one sponsorship or membership models to mm -hmm. actually take advantage of the that and build a really robust recurring giving program. And, um, so there's some, I think, some really interesting work being done that way. There's a couple organizations that are doing really well. And that's something that I'm spending a lot of time continuing to research and learn and understand, mm -hmm. okay, what are the best nonprofits mm -hmm. are, uh, doing and what can we learn from that to apply to other, other organizations? Yeah. yeah, look at what's working. And just in case our listeners are like, wait, what's he talking about? Back us up and tell us what you mean by subscription economy, because some people yeah. that may be a new term. So I just want to make sure that's no, clear. That's, that's a great point. That's a great point. I think most people intuitively um, uh, uh, are participating in the subscription right. economy. Whether we know um, it or not. But if you think about what, um, if you think about just your own personal budget and sort of consumer behavior or your giving, um, but let's just stay on the consumer side for a minute. You know, think about the number of, of um, products or services that you subscribe to today versus five or even 10 years ago. Um, I could speak for myself, 10 years ago, the things that were on automated monthly, either credit card or, or check sort of debit um, transactions were my mortgage, you know, my power bill, like um, what are called in banking, non-discretionary payments. Right. Today, fully half of all automated payments are what are known as non-discretionary payments. Those are things like your Netflix subscription or your Amazon Prime membership or your, you know, Hulu subscription or Spotify. Mm -hmm. You've got music, you've got video entertainment, but you also have software. You know, I, I pay monthly for Quicken, which is kind of a bummer, you know, but. Mm -hmm. um, but you got to uh, have it. Microsoft Office, Adobe yeah. Creative Cloud, um, lots of platforms, Dropbox. The one that always <laughs> kills me, Teresa, is. Um, people are subscribed today to their doorbell. Like, I don't know about you, but I am literally subscribed to my doorbell. I won't show it, but I get alerts on my phone all the time with the video doorbell service saying, oh, there was a cat, you know, outside your front door at 2 a.m. And I got to pay $11 a month for that information. To know, but yeah. Peace of mind. So, But you've got a picture of the culprit too. I know. Uh, I will actually, we live here in the Pacific Northwest and I will say, we just got an, an email from our neighbors. This has never happened to me before with videos attached of a bear and a bobcat that apparently have been hanging out in the neighborhood. But wow. today, thanks to the 
subscription economy, we have video video <laughs> recording evidence. Um, you have proof. Wow. That's crazy. So anyways, but yeah, that's the subscription economy. And what that's done is that's really um, uh, transformed the way people think about recurring transactions. We're, uh, don't get me wrong, there's entire services to help you keep track of and cancel recurring services. Um, and so... But but we've seen donors increasingly just willing to give on a monthly basis. Um, there's some research that shows that um, over half of boomer donors already participate in a monthly recurring uh, giving. And the key is they're not just giving to a sponsorship organization or a membership organization. They're giving to their local shelter or they're giving to their you know, local human services, uh, you know, animal welfare, you know, all sorts of different organizations are able to tap into the, to the subscription economy today. Mm -hmm. That creates predictability too, for the nonprofit and also for the donor for budgeting purposes. And then if they want to get beyond that, of course they can, but it creates a foundation of consistency. Yeah, absolutely. There's something about, I, I remember I had a client a lot of years ago that came from the corporate sector and he got in and he became the you know vice president of development at this very large nonprofit. And I remember he came to me with this um, brilliant insight that, you know, what's wrong is he said, our, our revenue is just like up and down. It's all over the place. Like at the year end, it goes way up and then it goes way down and then it... <laughs> And then in the summer, it goes down and, and he's like, so here's my strategy. We're going to even out the giving. And this was 15 years ago. So I was Ooh. like, um, that's not the way it works in the nonprofit Ooh. world, at least in, you know, direct marketing and mass fundraising. Like that is the cycle, you know? Yeah. And, and you so want he, that. Yeah. He wanted to like tamp down the high ends and bring mm. up the low ends. I was like, that's a nice idea. Yeah. But to your point, monthly giving literally does that it fills in the valleys it helps you know it's much more recession resistant and mm -hmm. um and it does provide that kind of sta stability that especially nonprofits have historically not had right and it gives donors the opportunity to support something consistently that they care about and they can know that they were a part of that yeah yeah, that's great insight. And I hope that gives nonprofits a different perspective and maybe some food for thought in that arena. Based on our previous conversation of the overwhelm, the priorities, how to think it through, say a nonprofit is wanting to ramp up this part of their giving, what is one step you recommend starting with? And I realize every organization is oh, yeah. different, but if we just boil it down to one practical next step, what would that be? I think if you, uh, if you'll uh, give me two, I'll okay. give you two. The okay. first is just to take take stock of what you've got, um, and that is uh, some folks, many folks, um, don't really even know their current sort of numbers, and so I would say look at your number of current recurring donors, the number, the revenue, and if you can, the long term value. So number of monthly recurring donors, the revenue annually from those recurring donors, and then um, long-term value. And uh, because until you know where you are, then it's hard to figure out where you can go. Mm -hmm. um, 
but some organizations, you know, I've talked to some organizations and they have dozens or hundreds and that's great. That's a good start, you know, um, but that you're going to be at a different place than the organization I talked to yesterday that had 11,000 and the organization I talked to prior to that, that had 50,000, you know, they're, they're very different. You're going to invest right. at different levels and all that kind of stuff. Either way, the second thing was, would be, I would prioritize your monthly giving program. And I do think that there is a difference between putting a checkbox on your website. Although if you don't have a checkbox on your website, you should have one. Um, that's kind of table stakes, but really understanding what, um, what your program is and, and does it really have the kind of value proposition that it needs to have to be really thriving. I believe that regardless of what you do, as long as you have like a functional giving platform and a checkbox, you know, the, the bare minimum, you will see your monthly giving growing. And I would venture to say that virtually hundred percent of organizations um, are seeing it grow just naturally because of the subscription economy. People are just choosing for convenience and for other reasons. But the question for me is not, is it growing, but how much can it grow? And that's where coming in and looking at the program and saying, taking, giving a real honest assessment of like, yeah, we just have a glorified, you know, check a box, you know, it's got a name or whatever, but it's not necessarily really where it needs to be. And, um, and, uh, and really be honest about that and then chart your way forward from there. It's a place to start, yeah. but the key would be to make it as seamless and painless as possible for the donor without That's a right. bunch of hurdles, like check the box. Here we go. Done. Yeah. There's all sorts of things we can do beyond that to really get it going. Mm -hmm. But the, the bare minimum yeah, is, I mean, there was a, an organization that I saw the other day that, um, said, if you would, their, their donation page said, if you would like to give a monthly gift, please write us. And then there was a mailing address. So I'm still not even sure how you would, what do you write them a letter and say, <laughs> you want to give monthly? And then they like write you a letter back or, uh, but wow. don't do that. Um, and uh, no offense if, if you're listening mm -hmm. here and that's your case, but just let's do something about that pretty quickly. Let people set up their automated giving. Yeah. Um, so shift the messaging states. a bit. Yeah. Around that. So if you don't have that, get that in order and you'll, you'll see an immediate uplift. But then the question is, where could you grow from there? If you actually mm -hmm. really properly incentivized and thought about the value proposition to the, to the donor. Um, mm -hmm. And we've got all sorts of processes to do to, to help that. And I've got some good connections on that front as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Sounds like an amazing resource. Well, before we wrap up, would you share with us a resource that has been especially meaningful to you in your journey? Oh, I read, I read so many books and listen to so many podcasts. <laughs> you sound like um, me. Yeah. Um, um, I would say, uh, oh man. There are Take so your time. <laughs> it's great. Um, I would say a, an oldie, but a goodie. There's two books on messaging that are really great. Um, uh, hopefully folks have heard of most of these, but one is called um, uh, Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. been around since the 90s. If you want just a good book on, on messaging, um, I've used it for many, many years. Um, and then another one that is, is also about messaging and marketing is called Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also about creating messages that are resonant and, and, and sticky. Mm -hmm. 
Mm, I think I've read both of those. I know I've read one by Dan and Chip, but I think I've read them mm. both. I've got good I've got books. a bonus book. Those oh, those are very uh, have been around for a long time. This I book literally came out um, as we're recording this one week ago. So ah. this one's this one most people won't have read. Um, Do tell. I, I think it's a huge game changer, and I'm actually building the practice into my into my consulting uh, work. But it's called uh, Working Genius by oh. Patrick Lencioni. Okay. And if uh, many people have heard of Patrick Lencioni before, he's done some TED Talk type, type talks. He's written a bunch of books. Yes. Um, the The Advantage, um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, The Motive. He's written a number of books that most mm -hmm. folks have heard of, at least one of. Mm -hmm. uh, the newest book is called The Working Genius, uh, or called Working Genius. And it's based on a model that, that he and his firm developed a few years ago, right at the front end of the pandemic, called The Working Genius Model. Go figure. And I actually am speaking about it at conferences now because I believe it's so powerful for leadership teams and for all teams, honestly, to understand where um, where there are gaps in how they're getting work done. Um, and it's partly personality, but it's primarily a productivity tool. It's the basic mm -hmm. idea is there's six different types of working genius. We all have... Um, Two of them that are our, you know, uh, given gifts and really are geniuses, so to speak. And two of them are frustrations. We're not good at those. Those are gaps for us. And then two of them can be competencies. And if you, uh, if you look at the model, it's very simple, very easy to understand. And it immediately can show where you've got gaps. Um, and by the way, all of us have gaps because we all have things that we're good at and things that we're not good at. And when it comes to getting work done or working in a nonprofit where there's no exception there. Right? Sure. So it's a, yeah. huge, um, it's a huge model. Sounds like you're familiar with it. Awesome. I've heard several of his podcast episodes and then I heard him interviewed on another podcast. And when I did, I was like, that totally makes sense. But I kind of geek out on that type of stuff oh, yeah. anyway. So Lots yeah. Lots of people do. It's, you know, it's not yeah. like, it's a little bit like StrengthsFinder in that it's strengths-based, but it's not. Mm -hmm. StrengthsFinder has, you know, 34 strengths, and I can't quite keep, I can remember my own, but I can't quite remember everybody else's. Right. How does that impact this project? I don't know. Right. You know. How am I supposed to communicate with you? Yeah. No, this way, it's very practical and plugging people into your zones of genius, and which the better you understand that about yourself and other people, the more effectively you can use those resources. Like we were saying earlier of uncovering the gold mine, that's another aspect of that, of how can you best fit people into the right spots. Yeah. And if you think about innovation, you know, my, my core practice, it's, is very central to innovation because innovation is not just about ideas. Wonder I mentioned at the beginning of the show, that's one of my geniuses, by the way. Um, but it's also about implementation and getting stuff done and you right. can't do innovation without both of those things. And, um, and the middle part of that spectrum as well. So right. that would be the, that would be the one book. And honestly, just take the assessment or listen to the podcast, like read the book later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the assessment's 10 minutes. I think it costs 25 bucks. Yeah. Okay. I'm using it as a core part of my work with clients to really help okay. uncover opportunities. 
Okay. Very good. Good to know. I will make the note of those and include those in the show notes too. Well, make sure to tell us how can people connect with you online. And I definitely want them to know how to sign up for your email newsletter because it's fantastic. And I'm sure they'll want to learn more. Yeah, no, that's great. So you can find um, us at our website at imago.consulting. Imago, by the way, is Latin. Um, we were talking about that before we started recording. It's uh, just Latin for the word image. So pretty simple. Imago, so I-M-A-G-O dot consulting. And you'll see a link right up there at the top right that says get trends, um, weekly trends email. And that's the wave report. So you can sign up there. Um, the other thing is I, uh, co-host a podcast, um, with, a with a friend of mine, uh, Carly Berna, she's the vice president of marketing at a large nonprofit based in Arizona. And, uh, it's called the purpose and profit podcast. And it's all about the ideas at the intersection of causes and brands. And again, with trends here, you know, what can we learn from business and brands and different, uh, trends and apply to the nonprofit world, and then vice versa. What can nonprofit leaders and nonprofits help teach business and, and brands um, in terms of uh, things that we know? And so we're just in pre-production on season two. Season one came out earlier this year and it's been very well received. And so um, looking forward to, to season two. And we've had a lot of folks from uh, places like Disney, yeah, and uh, and um, Oreo cookies. We had the global brand manager from Oreo cookies. But we nice. also had um, uh, the chief revenue officer from Charity Water. You know, and so it's a it's quite a spectrum of guests. Um, but it's just been a real blessing, and uh, I encourage people. You can check that out at purposeandprofitpodcast.com. So just it's a long URL, but pretty simple. Purposeandprofitpodcast.com. Awesome. Love that. And that's something that I've discussed too on the show before is that importance of nonprofits need to pull in business skills, but also businesses need to pull in the mission driven focus of nonprofits. And I really, I agree. I think there's a lot to learn from each other and pool our resources. So thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And I hope nonprofits will take some notes on this and really think through how to evaluate and reconsider looking at their giving program and where can they improve? Where can they find more resources that are right in front of them and pull this together? So thank you for all your wisdom. Yeah. Thank you, Teresa. It's been fun. Great to have you. Friends, what do you think? Do you see how Dave's tips fit into that ROI framework that I talked about from my TEDx talk? The relevance, the optimization, and the interactions. We need all three of those things. And the concepts he was teaching us fit right into that. We've got to build that. We've got to strengthen our muscles. And I would love to hear your takeaways from this. I thought he gave some great information on recurring donors and some strategies coming up and kind of the latest trends and things that are working in the nonprofit space and in fundraising specifically. So I would love to hear which things you are interested in implementing and how you're going to use this information. I want you to take action. Don't just let this go in one ear and out the other. I'm glad you listened to this, but do more than just listen. I want you taking action. And if you need accountability, shoot me a message or come join me in the LinkedIn group. 
whatever, find me on LinkedIn or the contact form on my website and let's keep the conversation going. Tell me how you're going to implement this in your nonprofit work today. And remember, you can check out my TEDx talk, go to YouTube and just Google Teresa Huff TEDx and it'll pop right up. If you are interested in becoming a grant writer, go check out my free quiz. Do you have what it takes to be a grant writer at TeresaHuff.com slash quiz. All right, my friends, have a great week. Go take some action and go change your world.